This is ASHA Voices, I'm JD Gray. You're listening to our second episode looking at accessibility, accommodations, and the experiences of deaf and hard of hearing audiologists. In the most recent episode of the podcast, you heard from deaf audiologist Sarah Sparks, who discussed autism and her personal path to becoming an audiologist. And you heard from audiologist Stacy Lim, who is hard of hearing and uses a cochlear implant and a hearing aid. She shared things deaf and hard of hearing audiologists may want to consider when transitioning from graduate school to a professional setting. While collecting interviews and stories about deaf and hard of hearing people becoming audiologists and about the barriers and challenges that they sometimes face, I was introduced to two audiologists who recently found themselves increasingly focused on accessibility in the university setting. Audiologists Lisa Lux Mendel and Jennifer Taylor work at the University of Memphis. Lisa is a professor of audiology and associate dean of graduate studies. Jennifer is a clinical associate professor and director of clinical education in audiology. Knowing they had first-hand accounts and practical considerations in this setting, I invited them on the podcast to talk about accessibility and why they were looking for creative accommodations in the classroom and in the clinic this academic year. Lisa speaks first. We have a first-year AUD student who is deaf. She wears bilateral hearing aids, uses uh, quite a few assistive technologies as well to assist with her. She also uses American Sign Language as a way to communicate. So in the classes that she's had with us so far in the didactic learning, we have ASL interpreters for all of the classes and she uses that plus quite a few other technologies offered by our Office for Student Disabilities, things like note-taking and recordings. We also provide backup recordings of all the lectures for her in case an ASL interpreter doesn't show. And because our classes are three hours long, we have to have two interpreters for each of those three-hour periods, and sometimes those systems don't work well. So we are recording our classes as well with captioning. So most of them are PowerPoint captions or through Zoom using their captioning system. I'm kind of hoping the two of you can help uh, kind of bring this to life a little bit. Is this unusual for you to have deaf and hard of hearing students in the program? Is this new for you? And, you know, is there maybe a time or a moment or a story that sticks out that kind of captures what it's been like? I wouldn't say this is our first time having a hard of hearing or deaf student before. We definitely have, over the years, had several students. However, we have not had students that were relying on American Sign Language as their primary mode of communication. This student was the first student who is solely pretty much relying on ASL as her form of communication. And so... I think during the application process, we as a faculty were sitting around and kind of saying, well, how would we do this and what would we do? And, you know, it came to the point of we're in this field of communication sciences and disorders. Of course, we're going to accept this student who meets all of our requirements. There is no reason not to, and we will figure it out. And that's what I want to talk about today is the figuring it out. Is there a moment, is there a story that maybe sticks out to you of something that was new or unexpected that you had to figure out? Well, one of the issues in the Introduction to Hearing Aids class is there's a lots of hands-on experience laboratory exercises that we do, and some of those exercises are doing hearing aid listening checks where you literally listen to a hearing aid through a stethoset. 
uh, which is a which allows you to hear what's coming through the hearing aid. For this particular student, that's been quite a challenge. Number one, how do we couple her hearing aids to the hearing aid she's listening to, but also can she actually hear what's coming through that hearing aid based on her degree of hearing loss? And there is technology out there. We found a, a device from the UK where she can couple her hearing aids to the hearing aid she's listening to and then uses an amplified headset to allow her to hear what's coming through the hearing aid. So that's one example that we've done in the classroom. Then Jenny has several related to the clinic as well. Some of the examples in the clinic have been being able to have multi-iPads um, in use to where we have one iPad on a rolling stand, essentially, that is on the patient side of the booth. And then also having a rolling iPad on the tester side of the booth to where the online interpreter is interpreting exactly what the patient says so that our student on the side of the booth can, I guess, hear essentially what is being said and follow. And the great thing about the iPad being on a stand is that it rolls or accommodates to the patient's height. And so it feels that it's face-to-face -face and it does not make it awkward. We've also been able to use, of course, equipment in the hearing aid rooms to visualize and visually see what the hearing aid is doing and making sure that it meets manufacturer specifications so that the student can see it and doesn't necessarily always have to hear it. Mm -hmm. Any other examples you'd like to share that stand out? We also have uh, an app called InnoCaption that basically is a talk-to-text application so that she can use the telephone, call patients to remind them of appointments, follow up with patients, and it's a way for us to communicate with her as well. It sounds like enacting a lot of these accommodations has been something that, you, that you've had to kind of innovate or be a little creative or do a little extra research, where do you come up with the ideas or research them? Or do you work with an accommodations office at the university or do you reach out to other audiologists? How have you addressed these needs? We've done a little bit of all of that. We have a very good office on campus called Disability Resources for Students or DRS. They have worked immensely with us and with the student to provide these ASL interpreters, to provide assistance in a classroom, and they helped purchase the iPads and actually are quite interested in what we're doing because we're kind of laying the groundwork for this kind of a situation. They're very supportive. We also, I will say, this particular student is quite a good self-advocate, and I think that's a real learning process not only for us as faculty but also for her fellow students in her cohort because there are times she has to be ahead of the game to say, I think I need an interpreter for this experience, or I may need this accommodation for that experience. And DRS, our Disability Resources for Students office, is right there helping to provide those services. I think we've also done a lot of Googling and research <laughs> and what are other audiologists out there doing who don't have typical hearing? What, what are we seeing out there? And so one of the things we do is we had at the very beginning weekly meetings as a team saying, what is working? What isn't working? What if we adjusted this? What if we changed this to 
ensure that we were doing the best that we could in every single situation. And some of it was a trial by fire, I guess you could say. And it was, okay, afterwards, this worked and this didn't. How do we improve it for next time? You mentioned speaking with other audiologists. I recently spoke with audiologist Sarah Sparks. Sarah is deaf and she participated in the ASHA Special Interest Group 8 Public Health Audiology webinar on autism. In our conversation, she discussed how autism can be direct, but also maybe unintentional. And she suggests that having more deaf and hard of hearing professionals in audiology will mean that there will be more perspectives on autism from people who have actively experienced it in their own lives. I just kind of wanted to give you a chance to respond to that. What did you think of Sarah's thoughts there? Yeah, I really agree with that. I find that I have typical hearing. Jenny has typical hearing. And we've been teaching for many years about people who have hearing loss. So we don't experience it. We certainly know a lot about it, but we don't know what it's like to live that. I think that she provides us with really a unique perspective. It also has changed a little bit about how I talk about people who have hearing loss in the classroom, knowing there's someone with hearing loss right there. You have to be fair about what you say and can't really generalize that all people with hearing loss have these characteristics or have these challenges because that's really not true. And I think that's been a really good lesson for us. Has the experience or this student changed the way you think about your role of the profession in any other way? I absolutely think so. With this student and with a family member who has a communication disorder that was sudden in my life, I've realized over the past few months how important it is for us to advocate for those who cannot advocate for themselves or those who can advocate just in a different way. Communication is a human right, and we have the ability here to really change how people view communication disorders. And I think if anything, I've become more of an advocate in our profession because of that. And I don't see that changing. If anything, I think the longer I'm doing this and the longer I'm around the student and around my family member, I keep fighting for it and keep saying, we can do this. This is what we are trained to do. And this is what we should be doing as a profession. To close the conversation, I asked if they had a message for other audiologists listening and if there's anything else they wanted to share. I think the message is embrace this. I think it's an excellent opportunity for us to see even more about what it is like to live with a hearing loss, but also to work with people who have hearing loss who can be audiologists. Is it challenging? Yes. Can it be done? Yes. I mean, I think we've really seen that. And I think it's been eye-opening for all of us, including this student's cohort, who sees the challenges that the student is dealing with and how they help to overcome those. I think it makes for a really enriched environment for all of us who come in contact with the student and also gives us a wider variety of thinking through various scenarios And it really does change the way that you think about communication disorders and it makes you understand better. This is what we're here to do. And we have to be the people accepting or we're not being good audiologists or good speech language pathologists. So we need to be doing this and we need to be 
really focused on the students. We need to walk the walk if we're going to talk the talk. Find more conversations about deaf and hard of hearing audiologists in the podcast archive. That's at on.ash.org slash podcast. A special thank you to audiologist Janie Johnson for introducing me to her University of Memphis colleagues and suggesting we produce an episode on the subject of deaf and hard of hearing needs at the university setting. Asha Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind National Leader Magazine. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is Asha Voices.